Open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Other than preparing his message, the first thing that uh, a preacher has to do is to get the attention of the people. It wouldn't make any difference what, what I preach this morning if I don't have your attention. That means I need your cooperation. Uh, I need for you to listen. And uh, that's why an introduction can be so very important. And I mention this because what I'm about to say should get your attention. I'm going to speak to you this morning about the most dangerous thing a Christian can do. I'm not talking about mountain climbing. I'm not talking about walking the tightrope over the Grand Canyon. I'm not talking about working at a 7-Eleven at midnight in Chicago. <laughs> I got to thinking about dangerous things, and I literally got on the Internet, and uh, I'm not going to read all of these, but I looked up the list of the 25 most dangerous things. Train surfing in South Africa base jumping in Malaysia, cliff clinging in China. It goes on and on, wing walking. How about volcano boarding? Try that. Yeah, yeah. Skiing off of a cliff in the French Alps. It goes on and on and on. Why? It's so amazing what people will do for a thrill, but th- th- those are are dangerous things. Um, but I want you to think about the most dangerous thing you can do as a Christian, and it might surprise you, but it's the truth. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God's promises? Don't, don't, don't you just love the promises? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but my God shall spoil your needs according to His riches in glory, and on and on and on. And they're even referred to as precious promises. But, but what, what about those promises that relate to judgment, suffering, pain, and death? How, how about those promises? Do you still believe God's promises? All of God's promises. Well, you say that's a different story. Well, no, it's not. If God can't lie and God has made a promise to to bless us, provide for us, then we can take that to the bank. We can depend on that, can we not? But if God makes a promise that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, is that not just as true as the promise related to the blessing? Well, I want you to look at a, basically any way you look at it, it amounts to a promise. It's a declaration by the Lord here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? 
If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. After writing an article uh, a week or so ago, I guess it was a week before last, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I was thrilled when someone came to me and expressed their concern about the content of the article, which had to do with us supporting the church. And they expressed their concern about their desire to be the kind of member that supports the church. Now, felt like turning the somersault. Of course, I rethought that, and I've rethought the bicycle, too. You can come and get it. I, yeah, I, I went down the road one trip and, and made it back, didn't fall. <laughs> but I was excited to hear somebody, you know, is really, I mean, genuinely concerned and with tears in their eye, expressing a desire that I want to be the kind of member that supports the church. Now, I say that surprises me because we live in a day and age where you just don't really hear a lot about that. To the contrary, you hear a lot of people that, you know, all they can do is find something wrong with the church and, and are complacent and lackadaisical and so forth. And I blame the preachers for that because we don't hear much preaching about the church today. And it's no wonder there is so much confusion. And what I've noticed, and listen carefully to what I'm saying, what I've noticed is that when people get the doctrine of the church wrong, they get a lot of other things wrong also. Why? What's the connection? Why would we go awry in all of these other areas just because we're wrong concerning the doctrine of the church? Well, the answer is found again in Ephesians in chapter number 2. And there he speaks about the Lord's church being a holy temple. Then in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, Paul refers to the church as the house of God. He didn't say it was a house of God, the house of God the church of the living God, and then here's the key phrase, the pillar and ground of the truth. The Lord's church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And that explains why if you are wrong in regards to the church, you're going to be wrong about a lot of other things. We live in a day and age where the average Baptist cannot explain to you and give you a scriptural definition of the Lord's church. To them, it doesn't mean any more than just a bunch of Christians maybe getting together wherever to do whatever, and that, that's a church. And they'll even quote that verse that says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So, hey, let's all go to the deer camp, or let's all go fishing, and we can have church there. And they have the idea that we somehow or another that we're related to the Protestants. Are you kidding me? 
really, you'd be amazed how many people believe that Baptists are Protestants. Let me tell you, the independent Baptist church by way of doctrine existed before Martin Luther was ever born, before he knew anything about salvation. It's important, it is crucial that we understand what the Lord's church is and what its purpose is in this world today. I want you to notice how the church is described here in our text. Now, you know, of course, there's several different metaphors of, you know, that are used in the Bible that describes the church. For example, it's likened unto a body. I think that must have been Paul's favorite metaphor that he used. First Corinthians chapter 12, he refers to the church as a body, and all of us are members in particular. And, and that, that's great. We need to understand that. Every metaphor is designed, in fact, I have an entire sermon on this, using each one of the metaphors and showing what, you know, the church was designed for and how that metaphor relates to the purpose of the church in this world today. When we think about the church as a body, that mainly has to do with how we relate to one another. But there's another metaphor that's used, and that's bride. And whenever you think about the church as the bride, that is how the church relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the church is His bride. And there are others. But in this case, notice that it's referred to as a building, a house. And in our text here, notice He calls it the temple of God. You better believe that everybody that lived in Corinth, when they heard that word temple, it caused them to perk up their ears because they lived in a city where there were many heathen, pagan temples there, ornate, beautiful temples dedicated to heathen gods. It was there that the, that the great temple to Aphrodite, the god of love, Venus, that's where her temple was. And all of the temple prostitutes. Can you imagine a religion like that? When they heard that word temple, and out of all of all of this mess, he says, ye, go back to chapter 1. You don't need to go there, but you can if you want. Those first three verses, who's he writing to? He says he's writing to the church of God at Corinth. So whenever he says ye are the temple of God, he's not talking about your body as a temple there. He does that in chapter number 6. The Bible does refer to our body as being the temple of God. There's no doubt about that. But here it's referring to the church. Ye, ye are the temple of God. And he tells you who he's speaking about and to in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Ye are the temple of of God. He's talking about a local church, a local visible church, a church that is like this church. We better hope that we're better than that church because the church at Corinth had a lot of serious problems. 
In fact, he says in the first part of this chapter, he said, I, I couldn't even speak to you as though you were spiritually adults. He said, I couldn't speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. They're in Christ. They're saved, no doubt about it. They even possessed all of the spiritual gifts according to chapter number 1. But they were so immature that their gifts were useless. I couldn't speak to you as though you were mature spiritual Christians. I had to speak to you as though you were little babies. And it's in light of that that he addresses the issue I'm about to speak on this morning. Now I know without a doubt there are some folks here that would that are thinking, no doubt, I'd rather hear a sermon about heaven. Brother Stone, I think it would just be a lot better if you'd just get up and preach the gospel and you'd just, you know, you'd just forget all of this stuff. Well, let me tell you, that's one reason we're in the mess we're in today. Amen. 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 Now, I believe in preaching the gospel, and I'd love to preach about heaven, no doubt about that. And we would all love to see people saved. We'd like to see people saved every single service. No doubt about that. But do you understand that that is not the main purpose of a church service? I think I just maybe surprised some of you. It's not the purpose of this service this morning to see souls saved. You say, well, preacher, don't you care whether people are saved or not? I sure do. And I hope somebody gets saved in this service this morning. But I'm telling you, that's not our main purpose as a congregation. When the saints assemble together, it is to worship God and to edify, build up, strengthen one another. That's our purpose. Unsaved people can't worship God. Did you know the Bible never commands the sinner to come to church. Never. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt go to church and hear the gospel and hopefully be saved. The Lord doesn't command the sinner to come to church, but the Lord commands the church to go to the sinner. And some of you sitting here this morning, you want me to get up and preach a gospel, and you don't have enough gumption in your soul to get out here and knock on the door and tell somebody about Jesus. You haven't even told your aunts and uncles and cousins. You haven't even told the people you work with, and you want me to get up and preach about heaven. If you're so concerned about it, why don't you get out there and tell somebody about it? We've been commissioned to go into all of the world. We meet, and we meet for the purpose of being fed the Word of God and worshiping the Lord Himself and being edified and built up and strengthened. The time for evangelism is when we leave this building. That's why we have that little sign somewhere. I've lost track of it. It says you are now entering the mission field. When you walk out the door, you're entering into the mission field. Now, I'm, I'm mentioning all of this because I have a solemn duty to use this time to speak about this subject. Notice how he began. He said, Know ye not... 
In other words, what he's about to say should have been common knowledge among them. Don't you know this? Know you not? Now notice three things. First, the designation of the church. I already mentioned that. He refers to it as the temple. And the Old Testament temple, by the way, was the designated house of worship for God's people. And it served as a shadow or a type of the New Testament church. By the way, it was the only place that was so designated, and it was a holy temple unto the Lord. That is, it was to be used for no other purpose. Every article of furniture in it, everything about it, in some way or another, it all pictured the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think about the Lord's church, we understand that this is God's house for this time. Jesus came to the world. He established His church during His earthly ministry, not on the day of Pentecost. It was during his earthly ministry he called out from among the people. Remember, there were a lot of saved people by that time. John the Baptist had preached the message and brought a lot to know Christ. And there were several, but he called out twelve that they should be with him. And he trained those men. And he commissioned those men. And on the day of Pentecost with 120 in the upper room, he empowered the church to go out into all of the world and to preach the gospel. This is, this is what we're talking about. The Lord's church, the Lord's house, the Lord's temple. The pillar and ground of the truth. The most important institution on this earth. The only institution that Jesus Christ started. Now that's the designation, but notice the dwelling of God. It says... Know ye not that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? You see, the church not only belongs to the Lord. You know, a lot of times you hear somebody say, well, where do you go to church? I go down to Brother Stone's church. i got, got news for you. I don't have a church. Brother Kenneth doesn't have a church. We're part of a church, but we don't have a church. This is the Lord's church. It's not mine. Oh, yeah, by the way, it doesn't belong to you either. Some folks have a hard time figuring that out. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It's the Lord's church. It not only belongs to Him, but according to this here, it is indwelt by Him. And whenever He said, where two or three are gathered in My name, there I'll be in the midst of them, you can mark it down. When the Lord's church assembles, He is there. Oh, I know that sometimes things don't go quite well. All of a sudden there will be a you know, there'll be a blurb in the PA system. All of a sudden, somebody will miss a note on the piano. All of a sudden, you know, things won't go out. Everybody's in a bad mood. And you leave maybe saying, boy, I, I just didn't, I just didn't, I don't think God was there today. I, no, He was here. The problem's not with God. The problem's with you. So I just, I just didn't feel the sense of the Lord. Well, maybe there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with Him. Because I'm telling you, He is here. He dwells in the midst of His people. Now, because He's here, we ought to honor it with our presence, for one thing. 
If He's here, we ought to be here. And we ought to support it with our money. We ought to assist it with our talent. I won't call his name, but I embarrassed some guy this morning. I asked him when he's going to get his guitar back out and get back in the swing of things and get back to singing. And Michael said, uh, oh, I, I, I got his mommy on him, though. I, I know how to do that. You, you know, it's one thing if I gripe at him. It's another thing mama gets on him. Look, we've all got talent of some kind. And maybe you're like me and you can't sing a lick. And I tried that guitar playing one time and all I got were just blisters. I, I never did learn how to play it. But look, you've all got talent of some kind or another and you need to assist the church with your talent. We ought to beautify the church by our conduct. Protect the church. And love the church with all of our heart. The church ought to be the hub around which our life revolves. I mean, that's what you expected out of Bev and I, right? Soon be 30 years and I got that phone call from Brother Gilbert Woods. Hey, Brother Stone said, you know, the church voted to call you as our pastor. I said, really? She said, yep. And I uh, want to know if you was going to take it or not. And I said, nope. And he said, why? I said, well, I just, I, I just, I, I just, Right now, I just don't, I don't feel like the Lord's leading me to, uh, to leave Kentucky. And he said, well, would you pray about it? Well, what do you say then? <laughs> no, I ain't going to pray about it. I got it all figured out. So I, well, yeah, I'll pray about it. Then it, he's a wise old fellow. And, and then Brother Gilbert said, could I call back tonight? <laughs> yeah, I want him to give me a month or two. And he said, could I call back tonight? And now I'm really on the spot. I've got to pray, and I've got to pray in a hurry. And so I said, well, sure, you can call back. I really didn't expect the answer to be any different. But I'm telling you what, God was working on both ends, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we were packing our bags and loading that moving van and heading down the road and left a whole bunch of stuff out in the out in the yard and told some of the people, tell the neighbors, come get whatever they want. We don't have room for it. We packed up and headed down to Texas. Now, what I'm saying is, it's look, I, can, I could preach anywhere. I, I could preach up on Table Rock Lake there in the Ozarks. Wow, how beautiful that is. I can preach it, but there's only one place I can be and be in the will of God. And look, folks, I know you might not agree with me. I believe every single church member ought to feel that way about the church that they're a member of. I believe that with all of my heart. And, and that's why there's no question about, you know, where we live, what we do, or anything else, because we know this is the place that God wants us to serve, and that's why we're here. There's just nothing more important than the Lord's church. But whether I'm here, whether we're here or not, isn't the real important thing. The important thing is the Lord's here. He said, know ye not that, that you're the temple, you're the temple and, and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. 
Boy, I tell you what, if, if I knew God wasn't here, I think I'd leave out pretty quick. Amen. Amen. There wouldn't be no reason for us to hang around if the Lord wasn't with us. Now, the most dangerous thing a Christian can do, and here it is, verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Speaking of the church as a temple is something that's holy, it's something that is sacred. And we think about that Old Testament temple and it being everything about it, being prescribed for the Lord's use. And it was to be treated with the utmost respect and dignity. By the way, the penalty, are you listening? The penalty in the Old Testament for defiling the temple was excommunication or death. They either put you out or put you under. That was by the Lord's command, folks. And let me tell you today, the Lord is no less jealous of His church than He was that Old Testament temple. Now, He doesn't command us to execute people, by the way. But He can. You see, an offense against the church is taken personal by the Lord Himself. And that's why this warning... Just this week I received news from a preacher friend of mine that while he was recently sick and in the hospital, the deacons met, drafted a letter of resignation, signed his name to it, and gave it to the church. And as far as anybody, he's sick, he's in the hospital, he can't do anything, he doesn't even know about it. And all of a sudden, they stand up and present to the church this letter of resignation signed supposedly by the pastor that he has resigned. I read the letter. How heartbreaking. Now, I don't know where this is going other than court. It's a big mess right now, and the church is split. And I mean that there's problems aplenty. I don't know where it's going in that regards, but I can tell you right now somebody's in serious trouble. Amen. And it ain't the preacher. Amen. That's right. Somebody said God will take care of it, and that's right. But notice the warning here. If any man defile, Now, notice that word defile. It is exactly the same word that's translated destroy. It means to bring into a worse state. It means to waste. It means to shrivel or to wither. It means to spoil, to ruin, deprave, or or to literally destroy something. So it's not like you have to destroy the church in the sense that it ceases to exist. It's that you corrupt the church in some way. You hinder the church in some way. Now if you don't think it's serious, just look in chapter number 11 later on, and you'll see there some of them, he said many of you are 
weak and sick, and many of you sleep. That is, many of your members have died as a result of their disrespect for the house of God. In other words, it is a capital crime. The most dangerous thing any Christian can do is to defile the Lord's church. Whenever the Lord speaks about the church being His bride, He's letting us know this is something special to me. I'm going to tell you, you can get by with a lot of things, and I don't have the temper I used to have. I try to avoid conflict, arguments, or anything else. But I want to tell you one thing. You hurt my wife, you're going to get my the full force of my wrath against you. That'd be the one thing I wouldn't tolerate. And let me tell you, I think the Lord loves the church more than I love my wife. And whenever you hurt the bride, whenever you defile the temple of God, look, God doesn't make any idle threats, folks. He says, if you do this, I will destroy you. There's not any doubt about it. We don't know the time that's involved. It, he could do it on the spot. Ananias and Sapphira, man, I mean, God killed them right there on the spot. Kaboom. They lied to God and God killed both of them. Sometimes it may be a week later, a month later, a year later. I don't know. That's all in God's hands. And I know that it can happen as a result of several different things. It might be, it might be introducing false doctrine in the church. It might be your personal sin, your lifestyle that is defiling the church. It might be an unchristian attitude. It might be creating division in the church. It could be gossip about the church, refusing to cooperate with the church, refusing to contribute to the church, whatever. The list goes on and on and on. But, but to just sum it all up, it's just a matter of, of sinning so as to negatively affect the Lord's church. And when we do that, we are literally laying our life on the line. Now, it's one thing for an unsaved person to do that, like Saul of Tarsus. You'll remember that he persecuted the church of God. He hated the Christians. He persecuted them, put them in prison. But boy, there on the road to Damascus, remember he was an unsaved man up until that point. And all of a sudden, he met the Lord that day and everything changed it's one thing for an unsaved person to cause trouble in the church. They might appear to get by with it. And from the standpoint of our life on earth, it, we, we could say, well, they got by with that. But their payday's coming someday. Our payday comes while we're here. It's why whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son that He receives. That's why John says, there is a sin unto death. You say, preacher, I still wish you had preached about heaven this morning. I, I wish God would have given me liberty to do that, but He didn't. I'll tell you 
I'll tell you why, and it's because I'm trying to save your life. This could be a life-saving message for someone. Man, woman, boy, or girl, doesn't make any difference. The promise, he didn't say, if any of the men of the church get out of sorts and cause trouble, I'm going to kill them. No. He didn't say, if some of the some of those old gossiping women, if they do that, I'm going to get them. He didn't say, just, it doesn't make any difference. If we defile the temple of God, he said, I'm going to destroy you. Now, hang on, I'm almost through. Over the years, I've heard many sermons and many illustrations regarding the sin and the death, and many of them have been really very dramatic, graphic. And so I feel a word of warning is necessary at this point, not knowing all of the details, not understanding all of the ways of God. We better be very careful about making accusations regarding people, because just because you think somebody's sickness or their death can be attributed to their sin doesn't mean that's the way it really is. Be careful about that. Don't do that. You don't know enough to do that. I don't either. But having said that, we would be fools to think that that it couldn't be. Their sickness might be due to their sin, Their death might have been due to their sin. It can happen based on what the Bible says. It does happen. I could stand here and spend another 30 minutes or more talking about different people that I've known. And I could look, I could give you names and dates and places of people that that the best I can tell from all appearance, that they suffered and they died as a result of something they did to the Lord's church or the ministry of the church. I can't do that because I do not know for 100% certain. It wouldn't be fair for me to look back and to say, yeah, I know why God killed him. I remember what he did to me and to my family and to the church. I remember that, and now he's dead six months later. I don't have the right to do that. But I'm telling you, it could be, because here's what I know. I know, and I've witnessed several instances where it appeared that somebody's sin was the cause of their death or the cause of their disease. I can't prove that, but listen, I can prove that they defiled the church. I can prove that. There's evidence. It was common knowledge. They did something to drag down, hinder, corrupt the Lord's church. There's no debate about that. They did that. I know that for certain. And I can also prove they're dead. I could do a little research and take you to the cemetery where they're buried. And I could also tell you in most of those instances, they died very shortly after the offense. So what I'm saying is, we better stop playing games with God, because whenever He says 
that His church is the temple of the living God in which He lives. And if you corrupt it, God says, I'm going to destroy you. We better take that serious. If obedience can lengthen your life, Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3, right? The first promise. Remember the first commandment with promise? Children, honor and obey your parents and what? You'll live longer and you'll be more prosperous. That's a promise from God, right? If we extend our lives by our obedience, then we shorten our lives by our disobedience. That's why Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter number 7, Why will a man die before his time? Now, God has set a mark out there somewhere in your life, and I don't care what you do, you'll never go beyond that. I don't know where that hidden line is. But I know one thing. You can so sin against God and commit a sin unto death that He can cut you off any time before you get there. And I don't know about you, but at my age, I... Even months, you know, sometimes start looking pretty big. I want to hang around as long as I can. I know heaven's wonderful, but I realize that my work here isn't through yet. I don't know about you, but if if I really believe my doctor and I went to the doc and he said, Look, you've got some horrible disease, I'm going to give you a little bottle of pills. As long as you take a pill a day every morning, 7 o'clock sharp, you'll be fine. You'll live another 10 years. Do you think I'm going to go home, set that bottle of pills in the cabinet and just leave them sitting there and get up and drink one of my warm Cokes like I do in the morning and say, I don't need that medicine today, I feel pretty good? Why? Why would you do something that foolish whenever the whenever the whenever the uh, life-saving medicine is right there in the cabinet. When we sin so as to hinder the Lord's church, we are cutting our life short. You, You might not believe that, but that doesn't change the fact it's true. It's what the Bible says. The worst thing, the greatest danger, the most dangerous thing you can do is to defile the temple of God. Don't be that person. Don't die before your time. i got one more thing to say and I'm through. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me tell you, why this message is so important to me. It's important, number one, because I care about I care about this church. I care about these folks. I got a lot of family in this church. I care about them. I don't want to see anybody here die prematurely. But I want this church to be everything that God wants it to be. And I I have yet to we have yet to understand what God could do right here on this property with this congregation. There's no limit to what God can do. And, and, and we better not be the ones to get in the way of what He's trying to do. Because it could cost us our life. And I'm so concerned about this church 
my unsafe friend, because we are concerned about you. We don't want you to die and go to hell. We want to reach as many folks in this community as we can. I've been talking about the thing, the most dangerous thing a Christian can do. But I'm telling you, if you're here unsaved this morning, there is something, you're in even greater danger. Because you are, according to the Bible, condemned already. It's not a matter of when you die getting to heaven and the Lord and say, well, I'm going to weigh your good works and your bad works and we'll check and see whether you make it in or not. No, when you die without having received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll spend eternity in the lake of fire. I don't say that lightly, folks. I, I, there was a time as a young preacher, I, almost, I got excited about preaching about hell, and I tried to be as graphic as I could. I tried to describe all of the screams and everything. You know, I, I, I don't even like to do that anymore. That, look, let me tell you, there is absolutely nothing entertaining about the thought of hell. It is the most awful, horrible, terrible thing that our mind can imagine because it is eternity separated from God. And it's one thing to die here and go to heaven. It's another thing to live here and die and go to hell. And that's exactly where you're at this morning if you've never been saved. But it doesn't have to stay that way. All of that can change right here, right now, this morning, by your simple, you simply putting your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting His shed blood as the payment for your sins. And He'll save your soul and make you a child of God. I would hope you would do that. And if you're here this morning and you're already saved, you're even a member of this church, but things are not really right between you and God, your attitude toward the church or whatever is not as it should be, wouldn't this be a great time to to do something that literally might save your life? It's certainly something I don't think we ought to put off. As I said, God doesn't make any empty threats. He makes promises. Let us pray. Father, how we thank you this morning for your grace, realizing that every good thing we have is something we didn't deserve. Everything that we enjoy, everything that we benefit from, every blessing we receive is all because of your amazing grace. And we're so thankful that we can call you our Father and to know that heaven is our home. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you'll help each one of your children, help us to be honest and to examine our hearts. And Lord, if there be that in our life that is unpleasing in your sight, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God, even right now, might walk up and down these aisles and put His finger on our hearts and move us to the place of repentance. God, help us to not be a hindrance, a detriment to the welfare of this church. May we do whatever whatever we have to do 
to be a blessing and a help instead of a hindrance. Lord, for that soul that's nearest hell this morning, I pray that you'll awaken them to their needs and that they might trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and leave here today with the with the hope of heaven in their heart and joy in their soul. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing together this morning, you don't have to come and confess a boatload of sins to me or Brother Kenneth or anybody else, but if you're here and there's some things that's not really right in your heart, why don't you come this morning, just get on your knees even where you're at, and do business with God while we sing.